Hi, we're Josh and Arielle Wamsley, owners of Green Valley Tree LLC, based in North Wyndham. We're proud to sponsor Connecticut East this week and to serve the communities of Wyndham and New London counties with our tree removal and plant health care services. Visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com for a full list of our services or give us a call on 860-234-4041. We look forward to hearing from you. Is Big Brother really watching you? We talked to the police chief and mayor of New London about their planned new citywide camera network. And helping youth and families, we talked to Ben Eves, the new Haddam Killingworth Prevention Coordinator. Plus, we take a look at other stories making the headlines from around the region. This is Connecticut East This Week. Hello, I'm Brian Scott-Smith. Despite the fact we have cameras on our phones, doorbells and on our homes, the moment a city talks about getting a new camera system for public safety that will be used by the police department, the inevitable Big Brother watching us comments emerge. The City of New London recently announced they intend to put in place a new citywide camera system at a cost of over $350,000. And I sat down with the Chief of Police and the Mayor of New London to talk about the project and began by asking Brian Wright, the city's police chief, to explain more about what was being perceived as a surveillance camera system. First, I like to refer to it as a public safety camera system. The connotation of surveillance kind of has a negativity to it, so we look at it as a public safety camera system. And it's a means and measure that the city is going to invest in a means to help deter, detect, and prevent crime. And Mayor, already there's been a little bit of backlash. There always is with things like this. I mean, some people are saying Big Brother watching us. Other people seem happy that the city wants to invest this sort of money. I mean, what's your reaction to all of this? You know, just cutting straight to the, to the chase, as it were. Well, the cameras could only see public spaces and spaces where people would not have an expectation of privacy anyway. So, and I think most people are are very used to being on camera these days. I don't think you can walk up to anybody's home without being seen before you get to the front door because they all have cameras on their doorbells now. So I I think it's very good, and it's proven successful in the city of New London. We we had a, a murder of a young fellow last year that the camera the camera system was instrumental in uh, solving that that crime very quickly. I, I think it's useful, and I support the police department's uh, initiative on this. And, Chief, just talk to us a little bit more about it, because it's quite a lot of cameras. I mean, it's been reported as around about three dozen cameras will be dotted around the city. One comment in particular that came out in the media, which I think has got a few people sort of like um, asking a few questions, is this license plate reader-ready cameras. I mean, just tell us a little bit about that one. License plate readers, otherwise referred to as LPRs, they've been used by law enforcement for considerably a long time now. Got to look at the benefits. It also helps, God forbid there's an abduction or some serious crime, we could track vehicles and use resources to investing in that particular crime while not expending man hours looking through video, running plates and things of that nature. So there's an upside to it. I think um, it will allow for 
quicker resolve of the situation should it be need to be deployed, as well as help in the investigation of incidents. You know, the city's quite small, and like all cities, sometimes traffic can get congested or you know, an accident can happen. I'm assuming it's going to be able to give you eyes on that sort of situation, because as much as you know, we have a good police force here in New London, you can't be everywhere all at the same time. Absolutely. Um, it allows the process to be sped up. In addition to that, it provides another resource for law enforcement. In this day and age where cell phones ring, home cameras. I mean, everyone's used to being or understood that at some point in time they could be on camera, whether they approve or want to or not want to. And it refers me to an adage which says, a picture is worth a thousand words. I think a video would be worth a million. And Mayor, also, I suppose from your point of view as well, as you further develop the city, you know, buildings go up, etc. It says in in this piece that obviously um, city personnel, other than just the police, will also be able to have access to this. Having this sort of data, I mean, if you sort of like see hotspots in this city, maybe a bad, you know, junction, is this something that you can ultimately use over time to maybe improve areas of the city as well? The technology or our use of the technology is just developing. So, uh, you know, as we you know, as we get used to its capabilities, uh, we're going to use it to the best uh, development of the city. And Police Chief, how have your officers reacted to this? Because, of course, cameras are not unusual to them. So many police these days wear body cameras. Uh, your own force wears these body cameras. So what sort of reaction has come from them? Do they, do they see this as an, as an added benefit and something that's going to help them with their job? They absolutely do. And the support from different community organizations, members and entities has been in our stock or shareholders has been absolutely amazing. I think people understand, particularly personnel, understand the increased efficiency of the department to be able to investigate incidents rather than expending hours in things that could be sped up. And I think it's going to benefit us. Let me just play devil's advocate for a moment because people believe there aren't enough police officers and that there should be more. This money, it's, it's a substantial amount of money, but I mean, it would have only have purchased, what, about three police officers, additional police officers, and would that have been a benefit, as much of a benefit to the city? I think it goes back to your initial question as far as police cannot be everywhere all the time. So this helps provide sort of like an omnipresence. And like I said, the, it increases the efficiency of officers. So if there is a situation where something may occur and homeowner or business are not there, police officers weren't there, if a camera is available, we have a resource to kind of detect. And I, I think many times people don't see the fact that it could be beneficial to individuals because it can also go to prove someone's innocence. If they're being accused of something, they weren't present or weren't there or weren't the initiator of such an act. So I think that's a benefit that people kind of leave out or think of or consider. Chief Brian Rice and Mayor Michael Passero, thank you as always for your time. They say an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. When it comes to looking after the local community's health, that's a big part of Ben Eade's job, the new prevention coordinator at Haddam and Killingworth Youth and Family Services. I sat down with Ben recently for a chat about his new role and what he sees as the challenges that lay ahead. Ben, thanks for joining us on Connecticut East this week. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. As we keep talking, people are going to recognise that it's two British people talking, except your accent's a little bit different to mine. So just give us a little bit of your background. Okay, so I was raised in the north of England, about an hour north of Manchester, and I originally came over here when I was about 18 on a basketball scholarship. 
that was kind of the first step for me to be here. And then I went overseas and played for a few years. And, and then I, uh, I got married and now I live in Groton. Obviously, we've mentioned about the basketball and, and mm-hmm. you know, that's part of, of your history. But then what got you interested in this, you know, as I say, social services and youth and family work? Because that's a very different ball game. When I was at school at URI, actually, I, I got heavily involved in prevention and advocacy services. Something kind of, I guess, sparked in me that I could, you know, I really enjoyed connecting with people and supporting and helping in that field. And, and it just kind of, it was something that I continued on with while I was at school and while I went overseas. And then when the opportunity came up in HK to do something that really, like, a lot of my experiences could lend themselves to, it was it was a something I needed to jump on for sure. So I'm, I'm definitely excited to be here and start some good work and take off from the good work that's been done before me. So, Do you think also, you know, looking back at your, you know, your career and your history to date and just quickly touching on the basketball again, I mean, basketball is a team sport. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not just about the individual, it's about everybody together to, you know, to get the win or whatever. Do you think that was also part of the, that ethos is what drove you to sort of, this type of work because it is very much a collective so like collaborative thing isn't it absolutely yeah i think i think one of the things that you know it's 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 kind of i have a like you said i've had a non-linear journey to this point probably a little bit like i guess you could say like not a traditional you know path but i like you say i think there are things that have lent themselves to this role and will continue to do so and one of them is you know collaboration being able to work together on a collective goal bringing all of the different you know, facets or different, as in this case, different sectors of a community together in, in, in one sort of common aim or common goal. So, yeah, I think there are definitely, definitely parallels there. And also, again, just staying with the sport for a second. I mean, sport is something that brings a lot of people together. For sure. And youth, that's a big thing for, for young people as well. So, I yeah. mean, you've got a lot of these great, you know, attributes even before. So, mm-hmm. like, you tip into the professional side of it, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, are sort of like a lived skills, you know, that and life skills which you, you bring to this. Mm-hmm. Talk to us a little bit about this prevention coordinator position, because mm-hmm. I'm guessing like so many things in the social service world, it's multifaceted. For sure. But For sure. Give, us, give us a taste of, of some of the stuff that fall into your responsibilities. The ongoing goal is to you know, reduce substance use and alcohol with the youth and, and focus on the whys, the reasons, connecting um, people's stories, figuring out how best we can help and connect with people on an individual level, on a group level, on a, you know, a school-based level, on a community level. So there's a lot, like you say, there's a lot of different facets of that become a part of my role. But that, I think that only makes it more exciting because it's, those connections can be sort of enhanced or optimized. And the, you know, the, the, the work that's already been done and, you know, the goals that we have moving forward based on some of the research, I think, you know, that gives um, a lot of opportunities. But, you know, again, it's just, it's finding out for me, I've not been here long. So it's just been exciting to get to know a feel of the community that I'm now a part of and just finding ways to, to, uh, to best connect and best serve, serve the, you know, the local community and what we're, what we're trying to do. Before coming here, I understand that you worked in the East Lyme Schools district area, which isn't far away right. from Haddam Killingworth area. East Lyme, not as rural. I mean, mm-hmm. a little bit more of a sort of like a town situation. Yep. What were some of the sort of like responsibilities and some of the challenges that you know you dealt with there? Because I mean, is it a case of they they can be a little bit different because Haddam Killingworth is very much more a rural situation? Yeah. But yeah. I mean, you know, are there differences? 
I think slightly. I mean, it's not you know East Lyme by no means is a, is a huge area in in relationship to some of the some of the cities in the area. But I think it's just familiarising yourself with the the community around you. But I think it's also there are there are common you know I mean we were just talking before about risk factors that are coming out of the survey that that we've kind of done to 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 drive our sort of mission. And I think there's a lot of things that have that have proven to be parallel with other places because I think we're you know. We're living in a time where information is very, very accessible and things are very, very uh, prevalent. So I think I don't think that necessarily changes a great deal, but I think they're just different ways in which that you connect with people can slightly differ. But I think one of the advantages with having a, a you know a small town feel like like HK is that you can, you know, you can connect with many people through in in a relatively short space of time because there isn't you know as many people to go through if if, if you if you can call it that. So that's one of the I think. You know, it's a plus and a minus depending on which way which way you look at it. Really, the other thing is here in in Haddam Killingworth, Youth and Family Services is actually on the campus of Haddam Killingworth mm-hmm. High School. Sure. This is where we're talking to you now at your yep. offices on the yep. on the campus. Yep. Being so close to the school, mm-hmm. i.e., on the grounds, do you think that makes that easier? It, it reduces barriers to one for you as the 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 people who work here, but also the students and the teachers. Because mm-hmm. sometimes I think you know people if they want services and they have have to go and you know go and find them sure. suddenly that becomes a barrier or they make that a barrier so do you find do you think it's going to be more helpful actually being so close to the students i'm hoping so i think i think the intention is to is to be visible you know be be in, in line of sight as much as you can be be available for people you know no matter how you know what, what levels of, of support questions concerns comments that they may have to be like you say, to be in arm's reach, I think is a massive plus. I'm looking forward to collaborating with the schools and, and, and pushing on with the work that's been done, but also looking new ways to sort of enhance the the information and the the tools that we can provide for for our young people in the in the in the community. And yeah, I think it's it's a it's a it's a fantastic opportunity because we are, like you say, on the school grounds. So every day they come in, they pass the White House in, in front of the school. So they know we're here and it's just a question of taking advantage of that really. As you said, you're fairly new to this particular position here, mm-hmm. but of course we've all been living with COVID and right. we've seen the results of that. And it yeah. has had a dramatic impact yeah. on the youth, yeah. uh, school children. What sort of challenges or what sorts of things have been coming out maybe from surveys, from mm-hmm. research that you guys have been doing here at Youth and Family Services? What sorts of things have you been seeing that you are saying, okay, hey, this needs to be given a priority? The human connection, the interactions. I think there's probably a lot of young people and and older people who who have suffered because of a lack of connection with other people. And I think everything has been, you know, it's been FaceTime, it's been Zoom, it's been phone calls, and it's been, you know, you, you're in contact, but you're not. I don't know whether in, when you're in, you can't really share a space with somebody in in a in a physical sense. I think there's a different kind of interaction there. But I think a lot of people are asking for guidance and, and I think we're all experiencing this for the first time. So I think it's one of those situations where everybody's just trying to figure it out and figure out how best to move forward. People have done a great job with 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 establishing like virtual meetings and things like that to make connections on a on a wider scale possible. But it's a you know it's a continuing thing and as more information comes out about you know about COVID and about the different kind of developments there, I think, you know, things are just constantly evolving there as well. So it's kind of a, uh, you know, follow the protocols and keep it moving kind of thing and just, just you know, roll with the punches. So, But it's, but it's been a challenge, I think, for everybody. I don't think we can minimize that for, for, for a moment, you know. So that must, in a way, though, make that work just a little bit more challenging for mm-hmm. you guys, you know, um, 
in, in trying to obviously, as you say, get in front of people. Yeah. Because I think you were say, you were alluding to like that personal touch is, is much more required in the job that you're trying to do. Yeah, I think so. I think there's a lot to be said for, you know, a, a level of, you know, there's a sort of like nonverbal communication that you don't necessarily get if somebody is on a screen. You know, I think it's something that you trying to help somebody and best get to understand and you know they're they're doing the same thing with you i think it's a lot easier when you can be face to face but i think whatever cards were dealt we just kind of we move on those and move forward with those and, and figure out given the situation given what people need like how how the best way of moving forward is but it but it does help when you have that you know that interaction but also from from a from a community sense it's just nice to be when you know that you can be involved in things that aren't necessarily as restricted that gives you a little bit more of you know you don't feel sort of confined to quarters as much as you as we have been for the last couple of years you know before we uh, started recording, we were obviously having a chat about, you know, the, the interview and mm-hmm. uh, you touched upon social media. We're not going to name any specific uh, right. social media, but right. of course, it is a very topical subject mm-hmm. because it is in the media at the moment. Yeah. How much of a challenge does social media bring when it comes to information that maybe we all shouldn't be sort of like seeing, but actually then being able to get good information because we're always hearing about the misinformation that's on social media as sure. well. Uh, yeah, I think there's I think there's a there's a double-edged sword there. I think it's a a challenge, I think, but I also think it's a beautiful tool if if used correctly. I think outreach is possible in ways that, you know, before that we hadn't seen. So as far as getting access to information to learn, to develop, to to find out about the world around you, it can be amazing, but I think, you know, with that there's a there's a huge amount of information out there like you say that's misleading or could be a little bit sort of um you know there's a, there's a sort of a disconnect there with with uh something that would be potentially helpful versus something that's harmful so but i think you know it's it's, it's one of those things with 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 the good comes the bad and but hopefully with you know it, as it relates to to young people and using social media like we you know that's something that is always at the forefront of, of everything nowadays anyway because people have access to so many different devices but it's just you know hopefully we can continue to work to inform people on how measures to safely use use their use their social media in, in ways that productive versus something that's going to hinder them you know and, and, and get them caught up in something that maybe they less wanted you know yeah and, and i'm guessing as well that it challenges you and and the roles of people in you know your organization and similar mm-hmm. social service organizations also mm-hmm. to change your thinking change the way that you also try to tap into and mm-hmm. and help the people that you're you, you know you're tasked to help as well so sure. it's it must be sort of like a little bit like asymmetric warfare it's like okay well yeah. we have to take a different you know tactic because yeah. information's coming in in this direction and yeah. we need to counter this yeah i think that's why one of the great things about my role is actually listening to and hearing like youth voices and figuring out like the challenges that they feel they're facing and their perceptions of the world around them and their you know their wants their goals their concerns and and, and a lot of that is is sort of keeping an ear to the ground and figuring out what's current and what's what is what is um relevant in the moment because as you and i know like you know things are evolving so fast that you blink and and the the concerns might have changed or might have developed or might have been you know slightly uh they've, they've gone a different path so you know the more the more connections with with the young people and the more questions that that i we can ask them you know it's definitely like a two-way street you know by no means do we want to sort of lord it over our young folks and say this is what you should be doing you know and just that be the message you know it's more about 
hearing a, a very mutual conversation and a connection that is contributed to by all sides because that's how that's how the, the strength in that connection is going to be made but it's also knowing for the you know for the young people knowing that their voice is heard and their concerns are validated and are very real right now i think it can also sometimes be a little bit more challenging in rural situations like this because mm-hmm. they are much smaller that everybody knows everybody's business and therefore mm-hmm. people sort of like maybe back off a bit and don't want to reveal themselves because of a fear that they're going to be judged it could be it could be but i also think there's a power in tapping into in a positive way tapping into those connections that have already been made because like you said there's a lot of people who know people from different sectors of the community anyway whether that be through the school system whether that be through things that people's kids are involved in or people's parents are involved in whatever you know whatever way you look at it but i think that's yeah i guess it could be a little bit like the it might be a barrier but at the same time it could be a an opportunity to to having already had those connections with people within the community and then sort of utilizing those if it's a message we want to get out or if it's if it's an event or something to bring people together i think that's a little bit more accessible when it is a small town feel at the beginning of the interview when we were asking you about your role etc you mentioned obviously about um, substance prevention and and drink you know some of the uh, alcohol some of those issues which are prevalent sadly all of the time Mm -hmm. does the service and do you as the prevention coordinator do you have any further concerns when marijuana here in the state becomes I mean it's already legal of course and Mm -hmm. we know it Mm -hmm. was being used clearly before it Mm -hmm. became legal but Mm -hmm. you know as of the end of 2022 it will be legally sold Mm -hmm. here Mm -hmm. do you have any concerns about that you know suddenly being added into the mix as well i think it complicates things obviously but i think i think one of the things that that our concerns are sort of led by you know that just adds to a mix of of things that are that are already there um i think the allure for for substances and for for use of things like that i think unfortunately is is very very apparent and very very out there but again it'll it'll be merely for our you know from my focus and from our focus is is helping people in that young developing stages of their lives find healthier alternatives find healthier you know directions but just making sure that that is very much in the forefront of of the concern for sure but it does it just it, it kind of adds more complication to to a never evolving issue anyway um because people find are finding ways to get their hands on things like you say unfortunately but that kind of just adds another piece to the the piece to the puzzle really so well ben eaves the new prevention coordinator for haddam killingworth youth and family services it's been a great talking to always nice to see a fellow brit as well (laughs) and obviously we'll continue to follow your story but we wish you and obviously youth and family services continued success thanks ever so much for joining us on the podcast thank you for having me Put a frog in boiling water and it'll jump right out. But put a frog in cool water and slowly heat it up, that frog will boil. As veterans, we tell ourselves the lie that we can handle anything. We let the water boil. You are not a frog. If you or a veteran you know needs support, don't wait. Reach out. Find resources at va.gov reach. That's va.gov reach. Brought to you by the United States Department of Veterans Affairs and the Ad Council. Tree damage caused by high winds, hurricanes, or stormy weather? Green Valley Tree has you covered. We offer emergency storm service for residential, commercial, and even municipalities. From full removals, uprooted or broken trees, to broken and fractured limbs, no job too big or small. If you need immediate emergency service outside our regular business hours, call our emergency hotline at 860 966 
5710 and visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com for details of our other services. Time now for a look at some of the other stories making the headlines in the region recently. Brown University researchers found that in Connecticut's efforts to combat climate change, electric and gas utilities spent the most on climate and energy lobbying at the state capitol. Emily Scott of the Connecticut News Service has more. Between 2013 and 2020, utilities spent $24 million, much more than renewable energy firms or environmental groups. Testimony opposing environmental legislation also was mostly made by utilities, along with heating oil and alternative fuel companies and business associations. Report co-author Galen Hall of Brown's Climate and Development Lab says in testimony, however, they aren't arguing against the existence of climate change. Certain industry groups will show up in the largest numbers when it's their direct interests at stake. So, for instance, like heating oil and alternative fuel sellers showed up to testify against carbon pricing in large numbers and then not so much for most of the other kinds of legislation. Over that eight-year period, only 16 percent of climate and energy bills introduced in Connecticut ever became law. Brown's Climate and Development Lab conducted similar research in Rhode Island and Massachusetts. I'm Emily Scott. The Truogy Planetarium at Mystic Seaport Museum has been selected by NASA as one of their new informal education community anchors in the country. Brian Kohler is the planetarium supervisor and explained how the Seaport Museum came to have this unique resource. 61 years ago in 1960, it was decided to construct a planetarium on our grounds. And the original purpose was to teach celestial navigation. So the idea that the sailors are using the stars to find their way across the sea. So navigation was our primary objective. Kohler says the planetarium has since expanded to provide programs about the stars and our universe to a wider audience, and the new NASA designation and a grant of $25,000 will help them teach STEM topics to local students in underserved communities. The planetarium is one of just 21 other centres across the country and only one of two community anchors in New England. In the Connecticut Examiner this week, in a move that calls into question, or at least delays for years, plans for a natural gas-fired power plant in Killingly, federal energy regulators agree to end a contract providing key funding for the proposed Killingly Energy Center. The Federal Energy Regulatory Authority approved a request by ISO New England, the regional grid operator, to end its capacity supply obligation to Florida-based NTE Energy after the company failed to meet contractual timelines to build the 650-megawatt Killingly Energy Center. That contract was a key source of funding for the Killingly Energy Center, which has drawn sustained opposition from environmental groups that view the project as at odds with the state's push to replace fossil-fuel-powered electric generation with renewables. In the day this week, New London School Superintendent Cynthia Ritchie was serving a dual role recently, managing the school district while also acting as an elementary school principal. It's part of what Ritchie calls the district's all-hands-on-deck approach to cover staff vacancies and keep the schools open during the latest COVID-19 surge. Coming out of the holiday break, many districts across the region are similarly coping with a shortage of teachers, substitutes and bus drivers. The staffing shortage led to a decision in nearby Stonington to cancel school for students on some days recently too. 
In the Norwich Bulletin this week, Norwich police are investigating a string of incidents involving vandalism of three bus station advertisements paid for by recently elected city council member Swaranjit Singh. The four incidents occur between November 1st and December 28th and involve three of the eight advertisements Singh pays for, which aim to educate the public on Sikh culture. Singh made state history in November when he became the first Sikh to win the election as a city council member in the state of Connecticut. We are not a racist town and the people of Norwich have spoken it loud by electing me, Singh said of the vandalism acts. It could be just someone ignorant. I hope it was not politically driven towards me. In the Middletown Press this week, the PBS programme Antiques Roadshow started its 26th season off with a Connecticut classic, Middletown's Wadsworth Mansion at Long Hill Estate. The mansion played host for the first three episodes of the season as people from around the area brought their treasures on site to be examined by professional appraisers. The Wadsworth episodes include an antiques roadshow first, according to a news release. The team appraised its first antique car with longtime Connecticut resident Paul Newman's autograph on the dashboard. And in the Chronicle this week, Wyndham's fight against the ongoing COVID surge continued recently, with some residents finally being able to get their hands on much sought-after home test kits. Town staff members and volunteers gave out 1,350 home COVID-19 test kits to Wyndham residents during a heavily attended event at Rec Park. While the distribution resulted in large line of cars at the downtown Willimantic Park, town officials said the distribution went smoothly. Similar situations occurred across the region as other towns and cities handed out delayed home test kits to their local communities. That's all from us for this edition. Do send us your questions and story ideas to the show via our website at Connecticut-East.com or Facebook or Twitter at Connecticut East and on Instagram at Connecticut East This Week. And you can listen to the show again on our social platforms on demand. And please like, follow and share on your social media too. I'm Brian Scott-Smith. Thank you for listening. (music) 